Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. As we, as we come to this text, though, I think it's really interesting because um, I think some really well-meaning theologians have tried uh, to write a ton of theology on this scripture while also recognizing that there's, it's a, it's a, there's a metaphor that Jesus is using that may have some, some issues if we just take them at face value, but also there is incredible theology here. I think it's it's, it's wonderful and powerful when we look at the, the scripture and, and what God is doing and see that, that, that the inspiration of God to John writing and the providence of God to carry these things also while recounting Jesus and what he's trying to do for his disciples, the 11 disciples in that upper room as they're getting ready to move their way to Gethsemane and, he's, and Jesus is going to the cross. Like All of this stuff plays into what we're reading here and what we see here and and how this applies to us and how this lays out for our life, I think we can, we can unintentionally hijack this text to try and write some really profound systematic theology when, when at the very very baseline of what, what, is, what is happening here is Jesus has his 11 disciples full attention. Full attention. Judas is gone. He's, he's been using language of I'm leaving and I'm going. And so Jesus has spent some time trying to encourage his disciples to kind of teach kind of the last discourse of what he wants to teach the disciples before he goes to the garden. And so we, we see this happening here. And he, he, you know, he says, I will, I, I, I will not leave you for I will send you a helper. And, and he tells us to, to love and obey him and, and, and plays those almost interchangeably with each other. And he, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is now going to dwell in you. And what you're not understanding, I will, he will teach you to understand these things. And he will also bring about peace in you. All these things are, are valid and true in what Jesus is doing, and we can, we can understand from God by the Holy Spirit what he's trying to communicate to us. But it's almost like the disciples had just heard that, and they're looking at him wide-eyed going, but how? Like, what is going on? Like, like how? This, this doesn't make sense. You're talking about this, this helper coming and this, 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 this person or this, this, this power of God that's going to indwell in us, that the temple is no longer what the temple that we see that you said you'll destroy in three days. Like, all these things are kind of coming crashing down. And like anyone who's somewhat panicked and a bit anxious about the future, you tend to, to maybe miss some of the truths that are happening. And so what Jesus does now is he goes to a metaphor, a metaphor that in this day and age was so common. So common. In fact, Herod's temple has a picture of the vine. We see, we see uh, coins that had the vine on it. And this was so common in Greco-Roman era, the first century BC or first century Judaism. This was like everywhere. The vine was used over and over and over again. And um, I don't know if many of you are into to viticulture, but but this is a vine. Okay, so we have a picture of it for you, real quickly. Um, not as quickly as I expected, though. Uh, so that's a hand. It's not the vine. There we go. There you go. Sorry. Computer probably froze on us. So, the, so this, is the, this is the vineyard, and the, the, they'll have these lines of, of vines, and the, the vine is the, is the stump coming up. The branches are what are coming off, and then the fruit that hangs off of the branches. And so Jesus goes to this, and you can just leave that up there for a bit, Dan. They, 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 he goes to this analogy for, for them to understand who he is. 
But he lays this statement in. Now, now things that, that I didn't know about vineyards or vines is that um, they can be really old. And I think, in fact, I think the current oldest one is like 400 years old. There's a, there was a branch a few years ago that, that, that was 250 feet long in England. And at the end of it, it had fruit. Like, so these, these vines can go really, really long. But, but the thing about, about vines and, and vineyards is that they take immense care. They don't, you don't get to just kind of plant the seed and water and, you know, have the automatic water going. You have to inspect them and check the fruit and, and taste the fruit and, and, and cut them away. It's a very intense process. And Jesus goes to this metaphor. In, in the Old Testament, every single person that's hearing Jesus, all, all 11 of these disciples are hearing this, they've heard this vineyard language used. It's been a conversation for a long time. It's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's uncommon or an accident that Jesus employs this language. We, we know um, that when you look at the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the vine was always the, the, the people of God, Israel. And it was almost always used in the Old Testament, as we go back, almost always used, in essence, to saying, or saying that, that the people were not being fruitful. The vineyard was not fruitful, and it was always a, a conversation in the, in the Old Testament as used, talking about the looming or the coming judgment of God due to the unfruitfulness of the vine. Obviously, when Jesus switches and says, I'm the vine, he's saying something really, really profound. Matthew 21 talks about this too. Um, we don't have it up there, but you can go back and read it. But Jesus talks about God displacing Israel as the focus of God's redemptive plan with the implications being faith in Jesus becomes the decisive characteristic. And so Jesus all of a sudden takes a language that, that most of these 11 would have known, like, okay, yeah, the vine, Herod's temple, we see the, the vineyard, we got all this idea. And he says, no, 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 I'm the vine. I'm the vine. And, and if you're not attached to me, then you have no part in the kingdom of God. And this is language in all the parables he's used along the way with all the agriculture and all the things. This was common knowledge for them. Israel, where they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane is a wall of vineyards. Like this was, this was something they could see right in front of them. So they, he tells them, Jesus is saying, um, as one scholar says, that he's the true vine. This can only mean that he is in himself the true Israel. He is the one on whom God's purposes are resting. And his followers are members of God's true people if they belong to him and remain in him. The picture of the vine isn't just a clever illustration from gardening. It is about who Jesus and his people really are and what is now going to happen to them as a result. So this is the, this is the metaphor. Now, this metaphor, although is really powerful in communicating what Jesus is trying to do. There are some things and some language, especially in the Greek, that really make this whole section a little confusing. And so we're going to try and dive our way through this and then understand what Jesus is doing with the idea of vine, vine dresser, fruit, and branches and what that means specifically. So he, uh, he defines himself as the vine and says that God is the vine dresser. A vine dresser's purpose was to plant fertilize, water, and then remove any branches that did bear fruit, bear fruit, and then prune those that did so that they may bear more fruit. In fact, if a branch got too thick, it would take the nutrients from the fruit, so they would cut those things back. It was a continual thing, and, and if, if branches were too low, they would start to put shoots into the ground and start trying to grab life from other parts of the ground as opposed to the original there. And so it was a very tedious process of lifting up, cleaning, taking care of and doing these things. And Jesus says in this moment, he says, look, 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 God is the vine dresser. 
This is a beautiful promise. If you just take it at face value, when the disciples are, are struggling with the idea that Jesus is leaving, all of a sudden now Jesus is giving them a picture of, hey, the Father in heaven is going to be intimately connected to you, intimately working with you, pruning you, watering you, caring for you, protecting you of, of disease and everything else. He's going he's to be inspecting the fruit, and if the fruit gets too much in a branch, he's going to take fruit off because that could break the branch. Again, all of these things make sense when you're looking at vines. When we talk about the theology of how it works for us as his branches, there's a few ways the metaphor can kind of get us in difficult spots. So in this text, as we read this, he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So that means that, that Jesus is the true way to God. He's the true people of God and faith in him is the way that we stay connected to God. And then he goes on and says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now in this section, in the Greek, the way it's used, takes away can also mean lifted up. And this is where some really uh, difficult language comes because because it's like, okay, what, what does he mean takes away? Because when you go down in six, he talks about the dead branches being cut and put into fire. And, and that's a very big image of, of, of hell and, and those things that the, the disciples would have understood that. So, so what exactly is happening here with this idea of, of a branch being connected to the vine that, that isn't bearing fruit, that is taken away or lifted up, that is cut away or cleaned and, and pruned in these situations? And this is where I think, um, again, as, as I read a number of theologians and scholars, they're all over the board on this. And, and every one of them kind of, I think, unintentionally, no matter how we go, to try to make the metaphor into the systematic theology as opposed to just letting the metaphor teach what it, what it needs to be. And I think all of them actually recognize that and say that, that very thing. But pruning is a picture of this idea of cutting away growths that, that don't work or having shoots that come out the bottom of the, the vine to, that would take nutrition away. Or if you had a little branch or shoots that were shooting up that were, that were running into another, another branch, they would cut those back. And so it's this picture of, of things not going exactly the way they're supposed to and getting them out of the way. And he says that, that ultimately those who are connected to the vine, you, you are the branches, we, we are the branches. The branches are, they're, they're us, those who are connected. In this text, as we work along, I think it's important for us to just understand that the picture is a, a, of a relationship between God and his people. One scholar says it this way. He says, the vine and branch picture emphasizes complete dependence and the need for constant connection. The, the branch depends on the vine even more than the sheep depends on the shepherd or the child depends on the Father. As Jesus was about to depart from his disciples, this was his important encouragement. We would remain united to them and they to him as truly as branches are connected to the main vine. The reason why this section gets a little bit difficult, and I want to talk about it, I don't think this is the point of this text, but I want to make sure it's clear for us, is this in me phrase that happens in verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then he goes into this abiding language, which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. This in me uh, has prompted all kinds of speculation. Is this a, is this a, if we're going to see this metaphor from a branch and put it into a person, then is this a person that is attached truly to Jesus 
and then falls away and is no longer a part of Jesus' kingdom? Or is this, a, is this someone who uh, thought they were attached and, and pretended to be attached, but never really truly were of it? Or someone that is just attached, but then struggling in their faith and therefore being pruned more so? And I, I think there's a, there's a couple of those you can make sense out of, except for if you just look at what John has taught, uh, you would see that this isn't really teaching to the idea that you can lose your salvation. And, and here's the reason why. Because if it is, it's in direct conflict with the very words of John in, in, in six, verse six, or chapter 6, verse 37, where he says, All that the Father has given to me, this is Jesus speaking, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Right after this, he talks about Judas, and we will spend some good time talking about him as well in um, further chapters here. They're going to talk about it. But also John 10, 28, we don't have the slide, but it says essentially the same thing. It's this idea that you won't perish if you're a part of it. And so, so what's most likely playing out here, especially if you look at what John communicates in 1 John to the church in chapter 2, verse 19, he talks about the people that, were, that, that seemed like they were of God, but then were departing from God. And he says they never were of us. And so when you look at just John's scripture, there's a lot of other scriptures that, that affirm this, but if you just stay in this author you see really clearly that that is not what he's communicating. He's not communicating that there's some way for us to be truly connected to the vine and have the source of life in Jesus and then not do the right things and therefore be cast out. What he's saying is that there's a way for us to look like we are connected to the vine. There's a way that you can, you can fool everyone like Judas did, except for God, and never truly be a part of his kingdom. And this is, I think, it makes sense if you think about it just in this text. If you look at what he says, verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, now think about the timing of what he's saying here. He's saying this to these 11 disciples, which he has just said will all depart from him. One will deny him, three, outright deny him three times. And he's saying, no, no, no. Regardless of what you will do, you are already clean. You are already you are already mined by the word, by the person and the work of me, the things that I have done for you. You have become clean. And so, so, so Jesus is, is teaching this idea of using a metaphor, teaching people that there's a way that we can see who is a branch of God because there will be fruit there. And we'll talk about that in just a section, in just a second. Um, Jesus also says this uh, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, this is just a, I just don't like this verse, but here you go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, the, the one who, pr who produces fruit, who, who, who fruit is brought out of, of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. There's a way for, for people to, to do fairly incredible things that we would see that would seemingly look like fruit, but there's a way to do it while not connected to the vine. And that, I think, is a, is a, is a scary text. I don't say that to be like, oh, we all need to be shaking in our boots, but I do think we need to take that seriously and recognize that there's a, there's a way in which we can live our lives that fool every single person around us, including ourselves, only to hear from our Lord, who is not our Lord, <laughs> away from me. 
you worker of lawlessness. And I think that's really important. We're going to talk about fruit here in a second, but I think just to, to just kind of give you an idea of it, I think our understanding of what fruit is is drastically different than what we see biblically. See, we, we tend to see talent and, and someone that does something really, really amazingly as fruit, but we'll see real quickly the scriptures define fruit in a drastically different way. So, so, so Jesus is not teaching of this, like where they need to be concerned about being lost. As, as a matter of fact, that wouldn't feel very comforting if you think about it, if you're the disciples trying to struggle, like Jesus encouraging them, well, don't mess up or else. Like, no, he's, he's trying to affirm and say, no, no, you are already clean. I've already lifted you up before me. You are already purified. You are already cleansed by what I have done to you. Why, what I am doing, just, just remain in that. Abide in that. And that's where he goes on in verse four. He says, abide in me and I in you. Again, the and, can, there's all sorts of questions in Greek. It could be as I in you and I in you. Anyways, I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's like, be assured I'm remaining in union with you. So remain in me. Like, be assured I'm doing this. I'm, I'm remaining in you. So just remain in me. He's comforting him in this way. To remain in Jesus um, has way more significance than just to believe in him. Although that is a, a massive part of it. We must believe in Jesus. It actually has, um, it kind of implies a continuing to live in association or in union with him. And, and again, if you're like going, wait, okay, well, what if I make mistakes? Well, Peter literally disassociated himself with Jesus right after this. Yet Jesus commissions him to build for his kingdom purposes. So, so there is a, his grace is at work in us. And I think, again, that'll come back to what we understand as fruit. But um, Jesus has already cleansed us by his work. Now we remain in it. To remain in him means stay close to him, trust in him. Let, let my life produce what only, um, let his life produce what only he can produce in you. Not, not looking for something that you can do. Uh, the emphasis on this passage, though, is on the vine. It's on Jesus. So, so the encouragement is that he's remaining in us. So now remain in him. It's not, it's not remain in him or else he won't remain in you. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm already doing this. Now remain, abide with me. Jesus is the vine. His disciples are the branches. The branches derive their life from the vine. That that is obvious. You don't see fruit coming from a branch if it's not connected to the vine. It doesn't happen. The vine produces its fruit through the branches. Jesus produces his fruit through the branches that are connected to him. Uh, verse 5 goes on. He says, I am, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's coming back to the same language. He's like, hey, you remain in me? I remain in you. As you remain in me, just like you remain in me. Um, oh, by the way, I, I skipped over this. This is the, the, the last and the biggest and the seventh of the I am statements that happen in John. That is a very direct claim of, of, of God and being in that place. And Jesus says, look, I am like, I'm the vine again. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is bears much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, um, I looked up the Greek in nothing, and it, it means nothing. I just wanted to be really clear on that because I think too often we assume we can do something. 
apart from it. I'll, I'll give you an example of my own personal life, and if this makes you like, I don't know what to do. Last night, as I'm studying through this, kind of trying to finalize everything, I'm, I'm laboring on what I can do and how I can make this applicable and how to make sense of this, this, this crazy mess. And I'm like, oh, I got to figure this out. And it was like, hey, I'm teaching about being connected to the vine and how nothing good comes from me apart from the vine. Maybe I should just stop and pray. It doesn't mean anything different will happen here because I'm still going to get in the way of that. But how quickly we assume that in our own strength, our own talent, our own abilities, we can accomplish something. And Jesus says, apart from me, nothing, not a zilch, nothing good comes from you apart from me. Nothing. Again, if you see the metaphor, it makes sense. If a, if a branch is not connected to the vine, it will not bear fruit. It, in fact, it goes on and says it will wither and die. Meant to be gathered up and thrown away. You cannot do anything apart from Jesus. One scholar says it this way, a branch is not a self-contained entity, and neither is the Christian disciple. And as a branch separated from the supply of nourishment cannot produce fruit, neither can the Christian. Fruit bearing for the disciple is totally dependent on a direct connection to Jesus. Attachment to Jesus or abiding in him is therefore the essential, is, is essential of Christian discipleship. To remain in Christ is to become fruitful. Now that's the part I think that we also forget. There, there, there isn't a fruitless Christian. There isn't a, a follower of Jesus that just, just has zero fruit in their life. That doesn't, that doesn't happen because it's not the fruit that makes you right with God. It's that you are right with God, which then will produce fruit. And so someone who is right before God will produce fruit because a branch connected to the vine is going to bring about fruit. Why? Because the vine dresser, God, in his graciousness is going to prune and cut and do what he needs to do to bring more fruit. Fruit bearing is not a test. A branch does not have to demonstrate a level of productivity to be safe from destruction. Rather, fruit bearing is a byproduct of salvation. We will bear fruit if we are saved. He goes on, and um, I'm sorry, fruitfulness will be the inevitable outcome of spiritual life with Jesus. In verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, again, I don't know if you know this, 11 times he says the word abide in, this, in these 11 chapters here. It's, it's just full of it. Anyone who does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into fire, and, and burned. This is where he's, he's, he's using an image that they're like, oh, this is people that do not belong a part of God's kingdom. They're not in God's kingdom. And again, it's not that these are branches that have somehow attached to him and, and have not figured out. It's that they really never fully attached to him. It's they were in proximity to him. They liked the idea of being near him. They even went to church and gave money and served and did all those things, but they never fully surrendered their lives to him. And therefore, whatever we deemed as fruit was all deeds of the flesh work and was not true fruit because you can't bear fruit unless truly connected to the vine. He's saying this over and over and over again, which think about this for a second. If you are really grieved about the fact that you're about to leave someone, someone's going to leave you that you spent three years walking with, that you believe is the Messiah of God, which by him coming and saying, I'm the vine, that is Messiah language. And you're trying to be comforted by God. How comforting is it to know that there's this, there's this connection to the vine that is done through him, that he holds the branches together. And whenever the branches are struggling, the vine dresser is very present, caring for the branch to make sure that the branch does that which the vine intends for it to do. This is a, this is a profound picture of connectedness. Verse 6, he says that they're not a part of this. Their uselessness is, is, 
is just vivid kind of realistic language and imagery that we see in Ezekiel and Matthew and all over, the idea that those that are not truly connected to the vine have no part in the kingdom of God. There is no life apart from God. We don't find it in anything else. And then in in verse 7, he kind of switches. He goes back. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified, going on to 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Um, So he if verses one through six are the idea of what abiding does positionally, we are, we are remaining positionally with God. This is kind of the practicality of it. So this is what works out of being um, with God. And so in, in verse seven, he's kind of drawing this illustration and he's emphasizing what remaining in, in the words of Christ really means. It's the teaching and works of Jesus. And, and this is what it will look like. If you, if you live your life connected to the vine, which brings life about, then he says, then, then, then ask the Father what you want to do. What he's saying is your, your life is so in line with the kingdom purposes of God. Your, your life is so submitted to the authority of his words that even what you ask will be in line with it. Just ask, and the Father's going to do these things. This isn't a, yeah, give me a new car tomorrow or help me pass my test that I didn't study for. This is not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is like, hey, when you, when you ask, when, you're, when your life is so abiding, remaining with God, the, the purposes of God are what you want most to come out, and therefore you ask for those things to happen. And God says, yeah, those who are connecting your course will bear fruit this way. Those whose lives are so in harmony with Jesus will find their prayers controlled by his word, and such prayers will be answered and bring added glory to God. And this is what he says. And this is, this is something that I think many of us, we, we like to, to say to the glory of God, to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Like the, the entirety of what the people in this day in the Old Testament wanted to know is like, how do I glorify God? Like what are the ways that I can glorify God? And he says literally right here, by remaining in me, you will glorify God. By bearing fruit that comes from me, you will glorify God. So he's giving him this answer. It's wonderful. Such fruit bearing, the Father is glorified in the believer as he is in the Son in his redemptive work. And so doing the way um, himself a true follower, um, sorry, doing the ways of himself a true follower is of the Lord. So, so Jesus is, God is glorified in Jesus obeying him all the way to the cross, and we get to glorify God by living in obedience to Jesus and all that he asks of us. And we do that not by white-knuckling it and figuring it out on our own, and hoping we can make something happen. We do that by remaining, resting, staying connected to the vine, to Jesus. The disciple steps into a relationship of love with both Jesus and the Father, out of which a transformed life, a fruit-bearing life, will flow. He goes on in verse 9 and says, look, you, you're gonna, you abide in my Father's love when you do this. You, you remain. And it's not that if you don't do this, you 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 won't be loved. It's that you are loved by God and therefore you do this because you're connected to the vine. So then verse 10, he comes back to this remain idea. He says in verse 10, oops, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So he comes back to what he'd already started this chapter or chapter 14 and talked about. Love and commandments and obedience, they, they go in the same, they're interchangeable. There is no loveless obedience. And in doing so, we, we show the world, when we, they look at the vine, they say fruit, not 
because we're trying to show that we belong to Jesus. It's because we belong to Jesus that we bear fruit. And that's what he's doing. John 15, a scholar says it this way. He says, John 15 emphasizes that neither doctrine nor ethics can alone define Christian discipleship. It reminds us that remaining in Christ, having an interior experience of Jesus as a branch is nourished and strengthened by a vine, is a non-negotiable feature of following Jesus. Without some dimension of an interior experience of the reality of Jesus, without a transforming spirituality that creates a supernatural life, doctrine and ethics lose their value. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, we can't just be smart about Jesus or about God. This was the Pharisees. They, they knew everything they needed to know about God except for the idea of what it meant to surrender to the Messiah. You can't just be smart. So then how do we know that we abide or that we bear fruit? He tells us this in this scripture. Um, he says, as you abide in me positionally, you'll abide in me practically. Um, we know that we're abiding in Christ when fruit is produced. That's the, that's the easiest way to know. We also know, and this is the one that's harder for us, we know that we're abiding in Christ if we're being pruned because the Father loves us and he won't let us bring off shoots that will hurt him or the kingdom or his glory or our lives because he wants to do what is best for us for his glory. We know that we are his, um, because we know that we're abiding in him because as we pray, we find our prayers align more and more to his will and we see more of his will coming out in our life. And then his last promise in verse 11 here, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The picture here is of a jar that is literally full to the brim that when you pick it up, it starts to spill out. We know that we are abiding in him when we see fruit, when we experience pruning as painful and as difficult as that may be. And we remain in him and we experience our prayer life aligning to him and we experience joy a joy that, that transcends our circumstance, a joy that, that regardless of how tough and hard it is, not a fake, cheap happiness I'm talking about here, people, not a happiness that we try to buy or try to take relationally or try to, to, to come up with in our, in our, in our compensating or, or, or coping mechanisms. A true joy comes in remaining. A joy that says, even though this is so hard, I rest in joy, knowing that no matter how difficult my life gets, I'm connected to the vine. I have life in the vine. It means that I'm abiding to keep in his fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through me to produce fruit. Um, so what is fruit? This is what I wanted to talk about a little bit. I think probably the, the best thing we can do, and I was talking with some friends at a, at a group, we were together doing a, bu a book study, and we were talking about like the outward working of encouraging people and how to encourage someone when you're not encouraging them because you're recognizing that ultimately what you're supposed to be encouraging is the work of, of God through them. And it's a really fine line of trying to encourage genuinely but also not promote like pride or anything. It's just, it's just a weird thing. But I think the same thing's here. I think too often in this world, and hear me on this, this is so important, too often in this world, um, we have deemed what we like as fruit. So if I'm doing a good job today, I'm performing for you, are we not entertained, right? Like if I'm doing something like that, right? Then you could say that that's good fruit. But I'll, I'll be really honest that I am, and many people in my position are very capable of, by their own charisma, carrying this place to seem interesting with zero fruit. So it can't be a performance it can't be that Jonathan just led worship perfectly, so therefore, that must have been fruit. We, we want fruit to, to be something so tangible that we can just like, 
bottled up, sell it, <laughs> market it, and make money on it, and get more of it. And look, I, I understand I understand why. Like when we see something powerful happen, we're like, well, I love that. I want to see more of that. And I think it comes out of a desire to see more fruit produced. But we, we forget that we're not the vine dresser. God is. So when there's fruit happening in my life, it's because I'm connected to the vine and God has pruned and cared and, and loved what he has needed to do in my life to produce any fruit, even if it's a big cluster of grapes or a really small one, or it took a really long time, or it didn't take much time at all. If it's real fruit, it's only of God. And so what is fruit in scripture? There's actually a bunch of scriptures that talk about it. The first one I'm sure all of you know. The fruit of the Spirit is... Galatians 5, 22, 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now, how do we bottle that up and create more of it? That is a fruit of the Spirit. We see another fruit that is uh, Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him, then let us continue offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is what? the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So, so when we praise God, when we sing, when we, when we give God glory, we're actually, that's a fruit of the vine. One that I was actually shocked by a little bit is uh, we bear fruit when we give money, when we take care of the needs of other people. Paul designated the collection of money for the poor saints in Jerusalem as fruit in Romans 15, 28. Also, he thanked the Philippians for their financial support to his ministry, and he said that their act of giving brought fruit on their account. We bear fruit when we win others to Christ, Romans 1, 13. As we grow in holiness and obedience, we are bearing fruit, Romans 6, 22. Even our good works, our service, grow out of what? Our abiding life, Colossians 1, 10. Many of these things can be counterfeited by the flesh. You can give all kinds of money and it not be a fruit. I can, I can posture myself with much obedience with zero fruit. As there's, there's, there's all ways for us to trick it. And I think if we assume that that's not possible, then we, we misread how, how the disciples literally, when Jesus said one of you is going to betray him, they all asked who it was. They weren't like, oh, it's Judas. His name was last in the account. I know it. No, like they had no idea. Man-made results are dead and cannot reproduce themselves, but spirit-produced fruit will go on reproducing from one life to another. And I think that's the key. When we look at fruit, fruit that is done by Jesus in us being connected to him, it's reproducible, not by our own merit. It just happens. When you, when you extend a peace that only comes from the spirit to someone, a peace enters the room and you can feel that. You can see that. You, it's, it's tangible in that way. But it's not based on any profound words you said unless they were words of Scripture or the Spirit doing this. I think it's easy, maybe it's easier for us to look at it this way. Uh, Galatians 5, right before he gets to the fruit, he has this, this section in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, like live by the Spirit. As you go, be in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So they're in conflict with each other. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on. 
And what does he say? He lists a long list. Go, go, I encourage you to go read all Galatians here to do this. He lists a long list of what? The deeds, the works of the flesh are. And then he goes in and lists all these works of the flesh. And then what does he come to? He doesn't say the works of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that? So when we work, it's a deed of flesh. When the Spirit works, it's a gift of fruit. I don't produce fruit. You don't produce fruit. The fruit that we are seeing in each other is a gift of God connected to those who are, are tied intimately, relationally to Jesus, the vine, as God is vine dressing us. Fruit is done um, regardless of talent. Fruit is, is done regardless of education, regardless of, of upbringing, regardless of, of, of what brokenness you may or may not have in your life currently. Fruit happens when we're connected to the vine. I don't work it up. I don't do it. Guys, this... If you were ever going to be comforted, this should be a huge exhale. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I'm tired of trying. He goes on and says this in, in Philippians. I'm sorry, deeds we do, fruit is produced, not by our works, but by abiding or remaining in him. In Philippians 2, it says it this way. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if we stopped right there, every single one of us would go, yeah, I'm going to work it out. Let's go. Get ripped. Get pumped. Right? And we try and do everything we can to hold on. Like, like there's some picture of the branch clinging tightly to the vine. Like, don't let go of me, Jesus, as if that's even possible. No, what does he go on and say? Yeah, we're supposed to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. There's an, there's an aspect of us resting in that and, and working through this. But what? For it is God who works in you, both to will, so the desire to, to work out our salvation, the will for it, he, he does that. Oh, and to the work for his good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that he's going to give you the will and the work to do it. This should shift us. Our, our, our opportunity to be generous with our time and with whatever he's given us in talents should shift us as, a, as an opportunity to be like, hey, I'm just doing what a branch does when they're connected to the vine. Not because I'm cool or awesome or I figured out some perfect formula on how to make it happen. I just remain in him and get out of the way and let him do what he wants to do. And the coolest part about that is is that when I get out of the way and he does what he does, God is glorified. And oh, by the way, just as an, as an ancillary promise, I, I get joy that's overfilling a jar. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in both the willing and the doing. It is God who works in me. A captured heart will obey. Love and obedience are a fruit of faith, and faith is a gift of God, not of works. To abide is to surrender and obey, and I can only abide in him if I am in him. This is what Jesus is saying. He's trying to encourage his disciples, like, look, look, Remain in me. And they're like, but you're leaving. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm the vine, the branch. We don't leave each other. There's no fruit there. Some of you, to remain in him, it may mean that you have seen a branch or a shoot in your life of just beautiful, plump grapes. I mean, like the kind that are probably fun to step on to make wine out of, right? And Jesus is saying, and, and God is saying, no, 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 I have to cut that away. And that was fruit that I did at this season, but I have more fruit that I need to do in your life. And some of you, that means you need to let go. So often what I see in people is they see seasons where God was doing immense things. And instead of letting him do what he's gonna do now, they keep being fixated on it. It has to be done that way. 
and in this way and using this gift because he did so much there. And I get it, the desire is to be close to God and to remain with him. But do you realize a true vine dresser is going to cut a branch that has too much fruit because it might risk breaking the branch. And obviously, again, don't see that all the way, the metaphor all the way theologically. If you're in him, you're in him. But what he's saying is like, no, no, no. I've got fruit that's 250 feet down the line that I need to produce in your life. And the only way I do that is if I cut at you. And guys, I'm telling you right now, that's painful. But God disciplines those whom he loves. We see that in Hebrews. So uh, scholars says it this way. He says, discipleship here is, is viewed in terms of attachment and fruit bearing. The believer is like a living branch attached to a living vine. It is the vine that gives the life to the branch. Nourishment from the vine enables the branch to bear good fruit. One must be attached that one will bear fruit as a result of this attachment. It means everything. One should be able to look at a branch, see its fruit, and say, this branch is living. It is attached. It is vital and growing from the vine. Can we, can we say that about each other? Would, you, would your spouse look at you? And say, man, he's attached or she's attached. I see the fruit. Even if it's, even if, man, it took so long to get that fruit to show up. But I saw the remaining and the perseverance as they walked it out. What, what fruit is the Lord displaying in your life? And here's the thing. I don't think it's like, okay, cool, let's take a few areas. I need to, I need to get more fruit in my praise and more fruit in my finances and more fruit in my, like, no, I don't think it's that. I think it's, it's resting in who he is. And guess what? Fruit shows up. And when it shows up, what's, what's profound and what's beautiful, and I think a lot of ways, and this is just conjecture, this is my own thoughts, I think a lot of times the ways that I see God do fruit in my life, if I like him too much, I think he cuts those away because I might make them about me. And that's just me, and, and it's not, I don't see God as some mean God. That's a loving thing he does for me because he cares about my relationship with him. So what fruit are you seeing? What joy do you have in producing fruit? The band's going to come up, and we're going to praise him with the fruit of our lips, which may mean for some of us that we don't say anything because we need to repent first. We need to, we need to walk in the fruit of repentance is also a gift of him. But if you, if you are standing here today going, man, I, I have seen fruit. Because if you're looking back and you go, this is what I did good, this is what I did good, that was a work of him. If you're like, man, I have seen fruit. It's like, praise God, you're working. And yeah, maybe you were, you were a little low and trying to grab some shoots from the different parts of the world. And you were, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to lift this up and dust you off and put you back up where you belong so the sun can get in there. Maybe you're there. That's okay too. Because if you are his, you're his. There's no, no need to fear in that. You're his. And how we know we're his, we'll see fruit. And so I would encourage you as we, as we sing to, to let it be fruit of your lips. As we move to a time of giving later, let it be a fruit of the Spirit. As we, as we walk out this season talking about joy and peace and kindness, let them be fruits that just come out. And when they happen, here's, here's what I would love for us to do. When they happen, I would encourage you, plead with you, to encourage someone that you see the fruit of Jesus working in them. Because how powerful would it be like, man, in that I saw Jesus in you do this. I can't take pride for that then. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, I did it. No, like, it's like, thank you. Because that's what every branch wants. They want to bear fruit. It's the purpose of their life is to bear fruit. And the fruit with which we bear is what shows us that we are his. 
It's the picture that the world looks at. Says there's something different about that branch. We're gonna take uh, communion here in a second, and so during the song, after I pray, I would encourage you to go grab your communion, come back forward, and we'll take uh, communion together. Father, thank you for reminding me of just my um, <laughs> like ultimate need to be connected to you. Like it's not a I need you every now and then, or I hope to get you get more of you on the weekends or when I'm around other believers. Forgive me for the ways that I've tried to live my life as if I don't need you. Um, forgive me for uh, looking at my own life and seeing what I thought was fruit, but was probably just me doing something um, and not giving you the glory when the fruit that does come in my life is produced. And so God, I pray for, for everyone in here that is connected to the vine. Um, Lord, I pray that there isn't a single person here that thinks they're connected to the vine that on that day would hear, Lord, Lord, I did I not do all these amazing things in you and hear from you, I never knew you. But out of our relationship with you, out of our connection with you, God, would you just produce so much fruit? So much that we can't bottle it up, we can't, we can't recreate it. All we can do is marvel at what you're doing. And when doing this, Lord, I pray that there would be the fruit of many people coming home to you the fruit of um, your spirit moving mightily through every one of your children. And I pray that you would do this not so that we can say, cool, we did a lot by surrendering to you, but that we could just glorify Jesus in everything we say, do, think, and sing. Father, as we even think about waiting for uh, the celebration, the Advent season of celebrating your birth, God, I I, I confess that we, um, as exciting as that is to celebrate, I long more for you coming back when our waiting is, is over and our remaining is no longer as a vine to a vine dresser, but we're in the presence face to face where we can fully know you as you've fully known us. We thank you for who you are, first and foremost. We thank you for all you do. And we praise you for your willingness to love us in spite of us, Lord and create something beautiful out of uh, these broken vessels that have no ability to do it apart from you. We thank you, Jesus. It's with this gratitude, with this thankfulness, that we even open our mouths to praise you as a fruit of your spirit. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue.